You're listening to Marismas. This podcast was created for people just like you who share a strong curiosity about the world and have questions about life that often go unasked. Marismas is a laboratory dedicated to exploring dangerous topics and entertaining some serious and strange ideas. Over the next few minutes, you are invited to listen in on a discussion between friends involving a provocative subject that you are unlikely to hear anywhere else. All we've got is a blue microphone, three chords, and the truth. The rest is up to you. Now, if you're ready, then let's go. Hello, everybody. This is Lemma Adams. Hey, this is no offense. And uh, we are here for another episode of Marismas. We've put together uh, at least 12 pages of notes and a bunch of other references and ideas, and I'll probably throw half of them out before we're done. I was going to say 12 pages of notes. That's usually uh, 30 minutes a page. It's 12 pages front and back. Oh, well, then it doesn't matter if it's front and back or not. I'm just saying it. (laughs) We're going to have to go faster than that because people will not, they will not be patient enough to listen to this. You don't think they'll listen to you for six hours? Nope. Hmm. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, so this episode I am calling Christian Mythologies Volume 4. And the reason why we're doing another Christian Mythologies is, as I've told you before, theology is my favorite subject, um, and I like to offend everyone equally. So the, the best way to do that is to talk about religion and to poke at it. If you were to just talk about religion, then folks that don't like religious subjects would just walk away. But when you poke at religious subjects, it it has a tendency to entertain everyone. So um, this theme, Noah, is Jesus was not monotheistic. So why is Christianity? I think you just lost most of the audience there. (laughs) Okay, so um, to start off, I just want to say everybody, all human beings have a story, right? Um, There are there are things about your life, nuance, uh, significant events um, that make you who you are. Is that significant? Is it significant that each one of us has an identity? Well, sure. I mean, but it's it's on uh, a lot of times I think people want to choose how they identify. If something happens to you, you, you get cancer and survive. I mean, you know, you're always known then as the cancer survivor. It marks you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, and I mean, whether you came out unscathed or not. I think men have a, a big issue with this because of their jobs. Most most yeah. men want to be identified by their job. You yep. know, what do you do? Well, I'm a pilot or, right. you know, I'm a ship captain or I'm an engineer. I'm a doctor. I'm this or that. Or like military service. I was a Marine or am a Marine. Right. Say. Um, or I served in Kuwait or Iraq or, you know. I played in the sandbox. Yeah, absolutely. Afghanistan, yeah. Or you, you ask a World War II vet, which theater did you serve in? Because Correct. it makes a huge difference. Were you in Europe or were you in the Pacific? And, you know, they were... I don't know. I think getting shot at is getting shot at. Getting no shot at is you. not... Yeah, <clears throat> well, we, I'm just saying all of those things and war stories are part of our identity. Agreed. It's part of our story. Um, so do you think uh, that it's important that we work out the identity of our creator? Well, I think so from the simple standpoint of, and I will say this broadly about any religion, every religion has a text Mm -hmm. or a tome that Mm -hmm. that everything comes from. 
And what's in that book gives you the context of what you were trying to figure out. Right. That text written down by someone Mm -hmm. prior to you. Yes. I mean, and and just, you know, to go broad with it, I mean, okay, what, what got, you know, glommed together as the Curon? What, what, you know, why are those particular ideas and stories there? With the Bible, why are those things there? With the things that Confucius wrote down or, you know, with Zoroasterism or anything like that. I mean, why was it these particular things that were put to the to this instead of something else have you ever have you ever really contemplated that like we only know about the past the stuff that survived it's kind of funny that you say that because i I was just rereading something that i've known about for a long time but uh and i can't remember the gentleman who did it but they were talking about survivorship bias Uh and he was talking about the planes in world war ii that that went on the bombing runs Uh And, you know, they saw where they were shot up, so they wanted to, everybody's like, we need to reinforce this. And he's like, no, we need to reinforce where we don't see because those planes didn't come back. We have an example of how much the plane can survive with what we see. And I don't know if it's survivorship, I think it's survivorship bias or it may be confirmation bias. But but anyway, you know, you have an example of something and you, you have to twist that to look at the other side. Yeah, you have to see the inverse. It's like yes. uh, uh, looking at the negative space rather than the positive space. Very much. Well, that's what we're going to do today. Honestly, you kind of set me up. There are world religions. How many are there? Hundreds. What, what about the major ones? The, the largest religion in the world is Christianity. Sure. Okay. Um, I mean, uh, Christianity, Hindu, uh, Islam, right. um, Confucianism. Um, Judaism. Judaism, uh, Shinto. Okay. That's Japan, right? Yes. Uh, some people would say Scientology is a religion, but uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I don't want to get sued. Um, hmm. Although Germany considered banning that religion in 2007. Why didn't they? I don't know. They didn't want to get sued either? Well, no, <laughs> no, I think they've got enough money to, well, at the time they had enough money to, right. to do well, something. Things have changed. How many of those religions are polytheistic? I would say a majority of them are. Okay. I mean, and now I will say that on, on a lot of these, I have not done a completely deep dive. Me neither. I mean, I, I I haven't always taken what Christianity has told me and just run with that. I mean, because here, here's one of the ironic things that most people probably don't know, and, and I'm either going to send people off in a tailspin or <laughs> we're, we're going to get letters. Do you know what book actually tells more about Mary than the Bible? No. Curon. Really? Yes. That's interesting. Yes. Why do you Why do you think that's true? I have no idea. Hmm. But it, she's probably held in higher esteem by the Muslims and Catholics. Well, you know, there's which is ironic because most women don't have a place in yeah Islam. But maybe we can dive into this later. There are ancient religions where there is a queen mother, sure, goddess. Um, and in fact, all the polytheistic religions have female gods. Right. Yeah. Most and of them are destructive. If I'm, oh no, we're I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> but you're right. Okay. So anyway, I've got so much junk in my head that I want to share. There is no way we're going to get it all talked out, and I don't want to bore people to death with a bunch of Christian mythologies episodes. But you think they're not already asleep? Well, the. I think six out of seven of them might be there. There, there is somebody out there that this episode is for. 
And so I want to get it done and do it well so that we represent. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Okay. So monotheism, what does that even mean? Um, well, what I've been taught that that means is that uh, it is one God. Right. One. I mean, mono, to break the word down, theism is a religion. Mono is singular. So one, one God. It one literally God. means one God. Yes. Ism. One Godism. Yeah. How do you define one? Well, that's a good point. I, I, you know, that's kind of funny because every once in a while you throw something out there that, that is just accepted. Yeah. And then it's like, wait a minute, how did we get to this point? Um, I mean, one is singular, alone. Um, it, I don't know. It's just one. I mean, that, that sounds terrible, but... I haven't thought about it, have we? Mm-mm. We just walked right past that and accepted whatever it was. Sure. But every single one of us had something already pre-programmed into our head so that when we saw or heard the word one, Mm -hmm. uh, that was the category that we stuck God in. God is one. Monotheism. Okay. That's where I want to start because today I might break things. That's fine. To be honest, and and I don't – I have not seen your text – I have I have no idea where we're going. I, th- I have an idea. Yeah. But this is one of the things that I've always struggled with is we're told God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, that's three. Right. But mm-hmm. I'm told that there's one. Yeah. But I mean, and so, I mean, I would say straight up, are we a polytheistic, if you're a Christian, I would say so. Well, here's what's interesting about that. And I'm glad you mentioned it because I wasn't going to specifically dump on Trinity. But it is problematic, and there's a couple reasons why. And we'll get into the details in a little bit. But first of all, the word Trinity is never, ever used in the Bible at all. That's not a surprise. And if you look at the way God is described in the Old Testament, that would be the pre-Second um, Temple period texts. That would be the Torah, the five books of the, of the Torah. And then you've got the Tanakh. That's the Law and the Prophets. That is the Old Testament of Christianity, and honestly, the Tanakh is in Judaism also. It's a sacred text for them. There is more than one character in heaven. Sure. But never a trinity. I would agree with that. And and whether we've put it down on, on uh, this, I know in our private discussions, we, we have discussed how the word God is, is a... <clears throat> I'm trying to think of the right way to say this without garbage. (laughs) It's not a good, it's not a good descriptor of what actually is. Right. The English word God is almost worthless. It it is a very, very poor uh, translation. And we may have even mentioned that in previous episodes. I I think we have. And that's the thing is, I mean, it's been a while and. Yeah. For those of you that have heard other Marismas episodes, you are going to hear some familiar words in this one. I'm just building on those. I have mentioned some of these things in the past, but I figured we needed an episode dedicated to this particular subject because if we get God's identity wrong, if we have a picture of God in our mind that is inaccurate, and and arguably we all have an inaccurate picture, that's the truth. Nobody understands understands God perfectly. Nobody does. No, and I don't, honestly, I don't think it's possible because, right. I mean, to use Paul's words of, of, as Christians, being all things to all people, I think we have to have a different uh, 
mindset. Right. I mean, it's kind of like you and I could work for the same person and have a different impression of them based on the amount of time that we've worked with them. Right. We could work with, or and, and not just work, but I mean, you you and I attended the same university at different times. Mm-hmm. And your impression of that university can be completely different of my university. Mm-hmm. That's right. Or your son could marry my daughter, and you would have a perception of that relationship and the people in it, and my perception of the relationship and the people in it would be different. 100%. Just because of perspective. Sure. Experience. Level of of intimacy with mm-hmm. those people, you know, well, and relationship. The, and, and the stories that are told at your dinner table with right. them there are different than what's told at my dinner table. Yep. yep. And, and, and not that not it's by obfuscation or by um, deliberate act. It's just this is the way we interact. That's right. So our experiences make up our identity. Our will makes up our identity. Does it matter that we get a better picture of God's identity or not? I, I think mean, it does. Atheists out there would say there is no God, so this is a moot point. We we don't even have to discuss this. It's right. pointless. What they don't understand, though, is a non-belief or the belief that there is no God is actually a faith. Yes. I mean, this is the just like you said a moment ago, you have to study the inverse. I mean, That's right. if, how can you deny something doesn't exist? And if you deny something like God exists, then all you have done is name yourself God. Right. That's all you've done. So mm-hmm. you still believe in a God. You just think you're that. And I would say that right now in, in human history, we are very high on that list. We're swimming in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to start there. I want to say I personally believe there is a most high creator God. No issue here. And I worded that specifically most high creator God, because that is what makes the God I believe in distinct from any other spiritual being. Makes perfect sense. Okay. So let's build on that. First of all, where do we get the idea that God is one? Where does the monotheism for Christianity and Judaism, where is it based? Noah's view only here. I think it is a, a misunderstanding of the Ten Commandments. Okay. Again, looking at what's not there versus what's there. Mm-hmm. When the first commandment is, there shall be no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. That must mean there are other gods. That's right. And we've talked about that before. I think Christianity shuts down at that point and says, well, we can't have Christ that's equal with God. We can't have the Holy Spirit equal with God. So there has to be God, so we have to tie this all together. So you think it was a construct meant to tie up loose ends? I think that one point I would like to go back to the the, the you were just making that I, it, it hit me. Humans make terrible eyewitnesses. <laughs> you and I can watch the same exact thing, not interact, write something down, and it will not be the exact same thing. Right. So... I think from that standpoint, it's easy to see why people build their own idea of God in their head. Mm -hmm. Anyway, back to this. Most humans don't like to have things in disarray, whether it's organized, you know, in their own home or their mind or whatever like that. We want certainty. Yes. And so I would say that part of this is probably loose ends. Yep. I think so. But there's actually a very specific verse in the Old Testament that the Jews called the Shema. Have you heard of this? I believe so. Okay. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
I believe it's verse 4, but if you read 4 through 9, you get the full picture. The idea is here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Right. Okay. That literally is the linchpin for monotheism. That's well, it. if the United Pentecostals can build their whole religion off of one verse about your countenance, then I'm sure that the Jews can build their own religion and Judaism off of one passage. I don't think any scholar would argue, and I'm, by the way, not a scholar. <laughs> I am not a scholar. Far from it. Okay. But I don't think any biblical scholar would argue with me that that is not the most important text for the case of monotheism. And not only is that verse important to Israel, but they've given it a special name, Shema, and it is something that is recited routinely because it is, it's fundamental right. to, their, to their faith. But there's a problem. If you go and look it up in an interlinear, like anybody can do. Um, I don't think you're supposed to do that. Well, I did. I think that's out of the rules. I just looked it up, and it turns out this is in Strong's Concordance, which, by the way, most scholars are beyond a concordance. They they are parsing. They're, they're pointing vowels, looking at things that I don't even see when I'm reading the text. But sure. I open up an interlinear, and all of a sudden I can see the Hebrew word juxtaposed over the English word, and then below that I can see its definition, and I can see every instance where that word was used in the Bible, which is how you determine context. Of course. And and how do we know what a word means? Where Where is the meaning of a word derived from? Well, it's, it's, I guess, something that's mutually accepted by everyone as to what something means. But as we've seen over time, words transitioned to something else. Yeah, in 1900, the word gay... Meant happy, happy gleefully, joy, joyful. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does not mean that now. That word has been completely mm-hmm. repurposed. Okay, so I looked up the word that that is translated one from Deuteronomy 6.4. And in the Strong's Concordance, it is number 259. It's an adjective. And it is ekod. Ekod. Okay? Um, that's all the scholarship you're going to get today. Um, but then you, you scroll down, and it shows you all the instances of where where it was used and how it was used and, and what it actually meant in those passages. So here's a handful of the translated meaning of ekad, okay? Alike, all at once, alone, altogether, another, another into one, any, any one, a piece, certain, certain man, each, each one, each other, eleven, every, every one, few, first, forty-first, forty-one, numbered once, once, one, and another, one and the other, one at the other, one, it goes on and on and on. Sure. But what do you hear, Noah? Well, in some cases, it's a very specific um, identification of one or this one. But then it's also a coming together, uh-huh. a, a grouping. Uh-huh. Um, Which isn't a single person. No. But it's a unified something. Yes. Okay. So if you get down to the very bottom of the list, and it's a pretty long list of how this word's been translated in the past, exact same word, just different context, you get... 
Um, let's see, same one, single, sum, 31st, 31, together, 21st, 21, uniformly, unique, unison, unit, united, and now we're getting somewhere. Right. I feel like perhaps we have just allowed the word one in English to mean something that was not intended by the original authors. That's a distinct possibility. And that is an incredibly profound thing. If you allow your thoughts to consider the ramifications, hero Israel, the Lord your God is unity. The impression that just came to my mind was something we just kind of hinted on earlier. When you have a group or a battalion of soldiers, this is individuals, but then you put them together and they're still one. That's right. But there are many people and parts of this. That's exactly right. I mean, the, the, it's one unit made of many individuals. Yes. I mean, you know, going back even militarily wise to Alexander the Great, I mean, you had his groupings and things like that, but together they would form a phalanx. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Now we're going to work backwards from there, okay? So in Genesis 1, chapter 1 and chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that's all one unit in the text. That was all written down at one time, okay? Every single instance of the word God is Elohim. Sure. Okay? So in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, all right? If you go to chapter 2, verses 4 through 25, every instance of the word God is Yahweh Elohim. So there's like this extra qualifier. There's like mm -hmm. additional descriptive text. Why would that be? Well, knowing that if we've had a discussion about this before. The audience doesn't know that. Right. But <laughs> I, I don't want to seem smarter than I really am. Oh, come on now. No, definitely. In the first parts of this, Elohim, is it capitalized or is it not? In the English? No, in the because oh. there's a, there is a difference between a capital Elohim versus a small Elohim. Okay. This is where I think that, that the Ten Commandments of no other gods before me must mm -hmm. mean that there are other gods, just not on the same level as Yahweh That's or capital yeah. Elohim. Okay. Um, I'm going to invite our audience, if they're curious at all on the subject, to look that up. And the best way to do it is with an interlinear Bible, which is basically just, it's the Bible, but it's got the original text superimposed over the translated text. And that way you can see for yourself what the translators are actually doing. Translation is interpretation. Mm -hmm. It is, okay? You cannot take a, a message of written text and understand what it says without some connection to the context in which it was written. You know, it's so funny that you say that because you look at what's happening right now in the United States. We have a document that was put down by some guys called the Constitution. Right. And you understand fully what was in this and it's easily read right but yet you will have 10,000 different interpretations of what they meant mm -hmm. you put 10 lawyers in a room and mm -hmm. you'll get 13 different opinions correct <laughs> correct okay so context is what provides meaning context context if you ignore the context of the original biblical authors, then it just becomes words on a page that you can interpret any way you like. Sure. And people do. Mm -hmm. They totally do. In fact, I would say most of them do. I, well, I don't know very many people that when they're reading the Bible, they're actually 
looking up what the words mean or um, where else they were used in the Bible to make sure they understood. No, it, well, and to go back to my example for a moment, it, it's so funny how the government thinks that Amendment 2 was written to stop the people against each other. Right. But Amendment 2 was written to stop the jerks in the government. Yeah, I saw Rand, I mean, it was either Rand Paul or Thomas Massey say something about that recently on Twitter, and I was just like, right on. I mean, Amendment 1 is Amendment 1 for a reason. And Amendment 2 is like, hey, in case this doesn't work out, you got this. <laughs> Sadly, I'm afraid it's going there. All I will say is this, and I will not say another word about this okay. today on this. What was the different context of an oppressive government that made the men throw down arms? Yeah, I would say the situation 247 years ago. It's far more grim today than it was then. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. All right, back to our conversation. So... Elohim in chapter 1, Yahweh Elohim in chapter 2, does that even matter? Most Christians would say no. It probably does not make a difference to the average person, and I'm not saying willful ignorance, but they read over it, and to them there is no difference in context or the idea that the words could even mean something differently. And why do you think that is? Because I have an idea. Because humans are lazy. Well, we are. But it's also because they've been taught their entire lives, if, they are, if they're churchgoers um, or if they've been to seminary, that hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, means one. Well, you know, and not only that, but how often do you have the chance to question the minister about the word? Not nearly as often as I would like. Full transparency. Mm-hmm. It, it's a person getting up, getting the lecture. I mean, it, it, this happens in everything. Someone giving a TED Talk. Someone giving a, a lecture on, uh, you know, in a college class. Someone giving a safety meeting. You don't have the opportunity to raise your hand and say, well, wait a minute. Yeah. What do you mean by this? Yeah. Right. And granted, I mean, there are a lot of people that if they were given that opportunity would take you off into a tangent that sends you into the ditch. Mm-hmm. But in general, we take what someone says as not necessarily gospel, <laughs> but we take that as as the truth, yeah. and we don't question what's being asked of us. In fact, I would say that there's probably a stigma or even a, a bit of trouble of uh, asking questions. Yeah, you're, you're, you slow down the momentum, you get in the way of the thought process or the point that the lecturer is trying to make, you're seen as problematic. Well, and, and you know, I, I'm reminded of the, they kind of uh, alluded to it in, the, in that film, The Big Short. One of the guys that predicted the uh, economic collapse in 2007, 2008, you know, he was growing up as a Jewish boy and the uh, rabbi pulled his parents aside and said, he's looking for mistakes in the Torah. And his parents were, well, has he found any? And, you know, and, and so it's kind of like, what, what's, what's wrong with exactly. looking to see? Yeah. What's wrong with testing it? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing is wrong with testing it. We're invited to test it. Absolutely. Okay. So what have we actually accomplished so far? Probably nothing. Nothing, maybe. Let's, let's go back to a word that we've talked about before, maybe even in recent episodes. I think in the last Christian Mythologies, we talked about the word Elohim. Okay. I'm just going to recap real quick. The word Elohim is a Hebrew word for spiritual being. Spiritual being, that's how it is literally translated, or heavenly being, okay? That would be something extraterrestrial. Not okay? human. Not human. And this, this Elohim, because of the suffix, I am, means it's plural. 
In English, we use the word God to describe a divine being, but a lot of people also consider a bronze statue of Shiva to be a god, when in reality, it is a bronze statue that's meant to remind you of a divine being. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not talking about idols here. We're talking about actual entities. That is, that is what I am proposing, is that there are actual entities in the heavenly realm that are not the most high creator God. I don't disagree with that because of First uh, Kings 22. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent example. In fact, I'm even going to mention that later and a, and a couple others. But the reality is in Christianity, we accept that angels exist, but we do not accept that there are other gods. And that makes no sense because the word God is screwing it up. What I'm actually saying is creator God, heavenly hosts, meaning armies of heavenly beings, and they're not human. I, I understand exactly what you're saying. There's no issue on my part on this. Good. But at the same time, I mean, I see where people would struggle with it because if you're taught that God's out to get you for anything that you do, sin-wise or anything like that, or you, and you're taught to have a fear, and now I'm not talking about the a godly fear like the, like is biblical, but where a, a cowering in the corner, oh my gosh, if I step out of line, I'm going to get a lightning bolt, then you're going to not question by design. Right. You might be afraid to. Yes. Yeah. You, you're just going to be, hey, there's one God. Okay, cool. But who made you the way you are? But, you know, with it, your questions. Not only, no question. And, and not only that, though, but as we've discussed before, the word angel just means messenger. It does. It, it, it doesn't have some kind of, you know, oh, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of the. Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great example. In the, the trumpets. Okay. Yeah. The church doesn't persecute people for, because what, I mean, what we're saying to, to some people, I mean, a hundred years ago would be blasphemy. Right. I mean, even 50 years ago, th this yeah. might've been blasphemy. Yes. Are you a heretic? Absolutely. I think I am too. I think I am. I mean, I'm pretty sure that, that if I lived in the past, I would either already have been burned at the stake or, or you know, buried under rocks or... At least tar and feathered. Oh, multiple times. I mean, and what was the... the there's I know there's stocks and there's, oh, there's shoot, something yeah, else. The rack. Okay, so the word Elohim is actually a... The et etymology on that word is unknown. Were you aware of that? My two regrets in life is not learning how to read and speak Hebrew and Greek. Yeah. I, I mean, straight up. My I, son is teaching himself Hebrew. That's how I'm going to close this episode, I think. Um, he found something really cool that I want to share with you. And I didn't I didn't text it to you earlier because I want to see the look on your face. That's fine. <laughs> but but I think that, that you know, again, it, it, what is an origin story? You know, how do you arrive at something? Yeah. And so I, I think that there's probably many things biblical-wise even ancient Egyptian, ancient Greek, or whatever like that, that it's, you know, how did this happen? Yeah, Where did and, this come from? And knowing the language would get you a whole lot closer, but it still wouldn't be the context. That's, mm -hmm. that's the problem. Like your analogy earlier, there, it's impossible for us to ask the lecturer what he means. Right. Because he's been dead for millennia. And we can go back and look at other texts written in that same time period and try to find out the euphemisms and the similes and the, the, the things that they used in the language so that we can better understand how they spoke to each other and what the significance of those words were or phrases. But 
it's still not the same as just raising your hand and saying, hey, excuse me, can you go back to paragraph two and explain what you meant by this? You can't do it. Well, you know, and going back to a previous conversation that we had in this discussion about identity and things like that, I mean, think about the number of words that are an occupation. You know, Cooper is a barrel maker. Chandler is a candle maker. You know, things like that. And But yet we've taken these words. I mean, even the word for plumber now comes from the ancient Romans because the word for lead is, you know, palumbum. Oh, yeah. And so someone that messed with lead pipes, they were a plumber. And they were also compromised. Mm-hmm. Intellectually. Well, yeah, because of the heavy metal poisoning. Mm-hmm. That's not good. The etymology of Elohim is unknown. It's, it's an elusive thing. However, Hebrew is not the only Semitic language that, that was used in ancient Canaan. And when you look at the Akkadian, the Sumerian, the Ugaritic, you see a form of this word used in those languages also. So here's something else that might blow somebody's mind. The Bible was written in an ancient Canaanite context. Sure. Would it surprise you at all if the biblical authors borrowed religious terms from the Canaanites and their pagan false gods and applied them to the true creator God? Not at all. That wouldn't surprise me one bit. For the simple fact is, is that how is it best to reach people with words and language that they're already familiar with, customs and things that they're already familiar That's with? That's right. They already have categories for. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I'm going to use I'm going to use words you know. That's the only way we can communicate. Right. Well, and and like you said, with the, the different groups, I mean, I always think about how I, I think, for example, about Caleb, Caleb being a Kenizzite. I think that's how you pronounce that. Okay, it's K E. No but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It, but did and it said they were a people. I think came from the same area of uh, or a different area around the Fertile Crescent. But you know, did the Kenizzites have their own language? And I guess the, the other thing is is how easy were these other cultures able to be rolled into a single culture? Very easy, apparently. I mean, it's like I kind of think about the United States as quote the melting pot. I yep. mean, how how supposedly easy it is but i mean then we have yeah other issues well all through the biblical narrative um exodus and leviticus and deuteronomy the the israelites were warned not to intermarry Mm -hmm. because god was trying to do something with them and mingling with the canaanites would have corrupted the theology and it did it did exactly that and that's something else we're going to talk about so um, Elohim is plural. Elo or El- Eloa is singular. El is the root. And according to the Canaanite pantheon, El was the most high God. Makes perfect sense and in the context. There are several places in the biblical text where El is used to describe the Jewish most high God. Mm-hmm. Does that bother you? No, because I, I think about modern times now. I mean, how many holidays that were pagan festivals or something like that are supposedly rebranded as Christian? Almost all of them. I mean, Christ was not born December 25th. No. Because the, the context that is even get, this is another one too. Okay, I'm about to blow a gasket. <laughs> but it's like for for a society that is supposedly agrarian mm-hmm. and knowing where, you know, the seasons and customs of Israel and things like that. Shepherds are not in the field December 25th. 
Does it matter that it's on the other side of the world? No, because they're, they're still in the northern hemisphere. Oh yeah, okay. So I mean, if it was if it was Australia or you know South Africa <laughs> or, or you know Argentina or something like that, then maybe we've got a different discussion. My geography is not strong. Neither is the people <laughs> that play my trivia game, but <clears throat> but you know, straight up though, the the thing is, is that you know the whole idea on a lot of these things. I mean, for example, with the Romans, December twenty first by the calendar and by the celestial calendar is the winter solstice. The Romans had a winter celebration December 23rd. This was their, you know, uh, yeah, grand parties, whatever like that. How easy is it to push this two more days and call it the birth of Christ? The decorations would still be up. You know, Halloween is something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not the pagan festival that everyone makes it out. Easter. Another thing. I mean, this is Passover that we've changed. So absolutely, context matters. But if everybody's used to partying, what's the use of or what's the difference in changing the reason why you're partying? Right. It's a it's a repurposing. It's like judo. Okay. Sure. They took the momentum Mm -hmm. of an opposing group and they just used it against them. Yeah. Very much so. So. Why would the Hebrew word for God be plural? Well, from what I know of Hebrew, Hebrew is a problematic language on singular, plural, and things Only like that. Only if you speak English. Well, sure. <laughs> and that's most of the world. I mean, <laughs> it reminds me of the joke of the pilot in Berlin. It's like, you know, why am I German in Germany speaking English over a... Because you lost the war. I mean... Oh. I mean, you know, but but straight up, I mean, yes, uh, there are, there are a lot of English is a very problematic language. I mean, I jokingly like to say English is the the proverbial you know three languages stuffed in a trench coat acting as one. That's right, it is. What's what's interesting is you take you take the the Hebrew word uh, Elohim and it is plural, and you have to reconcile that somehow. So some people have actually said that Elohim is plural because this is our first glimpse at the Trinity. I, I don't buy that. Especially considering the number of stories in which we have entities that are not the Most High God speaking on behalf of the Most High God to Moses and the Israelites. See, this is going to be very problematic. Yep. This is, I, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, this is very problematic. Yeah. So I'm almost to the point, Noah, where I reject it. I'm just like, okay... I'm not going to say that God is not Trinity. I won't go that far. But I will say y'all's case is weak. I I don't disagree with that, but I don't think that most people have ever delved enough into realizing it's like an ambassador. They are speaking for whomever their, their ultimate ruler is. But they're not the ultimate ruler's words. That's right. They they serve on behalf of the government. And, and I don't think that I, I really do not think that most people can reconcile that with their only one God religion. Right. And it's honestly it's it's some of it is just inertia. Sure. This is what I've always been taught, this is what I've always believed. Every time I use or see the word God written, I conjure up an image in my head, and this is... Of, you know, guy mm-hmm. with long, flowing hair and a beard, you yep. know, in robes, sitting on a throne. Yep. And for more than half, looking to get you. Yes. I mean, sitting there with a, with a you know, a, a bucket of lightning bolts going, right. huh. <laughs> no, even, it, though, even though there's a reason for that, too. And that is that 
the way God is described in the Old Testament and the way Jesus presented God on earth in the New Testament are not perfectly congruent. Agreed. Um, I mean, Christ was all about let's love and let's do this and that, whereas, you know, Old Testament God says go in there and kill them all. Right. Including their animals. Right. Okay. I mean, that's hard to reconcile. I created everybody and I love everybody versus kill them all. That's right. And I would say those passages in the Old Testament where God told the Israelites to enter into the land and kill everyone, man, woman, and child, and all the beasts— those are the passages that atheists and non-believers today use to beat Christians up. And sure. Christians, almost to a man and woman and child, do not have a good answer for it. Well, I, I will say this, and this is one of the ironies of life. I believe that more atheists have spent time reading the Bible than most Christians. Oh, my gosh. You know, you might be right, because we have a tendency to do what we want. And if you want to find evidence to beat somebody over the head with it, you'll look. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want to read the book and understand the context so that you have a closer relationship with the God you claim to believe in, you won't. Granted, I'm only speaking from the Americanized version of Christianity, mm-hmm. which I believe that we both have issues with. I'm going to borrow a Noahism right now. Oh, go ahead. I don't have issues with Christianity. I have whole subscriptions. Uh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> uh, but straight up, I believe that most people, especially in, in the Bible Belt, don't want to be ostracized for not identifying as a Christian. Yeah. In in some places, I mean, you know, the the, the deep south where where the re, where religion is college football on Saturday and and go to God's house in the morning and the NFL on Sunday afternoon. I mean, you know, it, it, this this is the the religion of the south here. Hmm. But I think that most people don't want to be ostracized from that. And so they claim to be a Christian, claim to follow God, and they live their life just the way that they want to live their life. They believe God exists, and, and no, they try to be good. Right, and no one else is going to, you know, and again, the problematic to a, a lemmaism, you know, good according to whom. Right. But they don't go against the flow. You know, they praise God and, you know, pass the potatoes and everything like that. <laughs> they just say ammunition. Well, I, I thought about it. <laughs> that but, too, man. <laughs> but, you know, straight up, I mean, you know, it, it, you know, football, God, ammo, and country. Right. You know, and, and was there any discussion of, of deep dives on anything? No. You caught up with what your kids are doing mm-hmm. or who's doing what for the summer vacation. and I mean, it's it's almost social hour versus oh, yeah. dig into God hour. Yeah, which social, social hour is fine. I don't have an issue but with But if that's that. all we're doing. Right. Why are we meeting? Exactly. Exactly. Are, are we meeting for his purpose or for my purpose? What would be the purpose of gathering a bunch of humans together in one place well the, as, as the the proverbs say iron sharpens iron so you're, you're wanting to try to get better and, and don't get me wrong i'm not sitting in judgment of anyone or, or anything like that oh, because i on. mean no just straight up I, I mean i'm just as guilty so i mean i i don't uh, hypocrisy is something i have a, a huge issue with and so meaning you struggle with it or you don't like it uh, or both Meaning that I try not to, I try to make sure that my views align the same okay. on, on everything. But th- that's, my big struggle is, is that I don't want to be hypocritical. Okay. I, I've gone to church not expecting to get anything out of it. And, you know, it was good to see my friends and things like that. And I think that that's the reason a lot of people do that is because you are not going to be ostracized from society if you show up. You're there in the pew, and you get up and leave when everybody else leaves, and I just think that that's, you know. So you're paying your social dues. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, life becomes very different when you realize the parable of the sower was written for the church. Yep. 
instead of the world. Yep. All right. So did you know that in the Old Testament, the name of God, you know, it's it's in chapter two, Yahweh mm-hmm. Elohim. We, we don't actually, we don't, that's the first instance of Yahweh in the, the Old Testament, but that's not when the word was learned. In Exodus 3.14, or thereabouts, Moses asks a speaking shrubbery, what should I call you? When when the Israelites you're telling me to set, to help deliver out of Egypt ask, who is this God that sent you? What should I tell them? And the God says, Yahweh. Or something like that, Yahweh. We don't have the vowels. You know why? Because they were afraid to write it down as to not blaspheme. Well, and that, there's other reasons too. But in Hebrew, which by the way is probably one of the most expressive incredibly expressive languages um every letter has a numerical value right every letter also has a symbolic value did you know that i did know that actually okay so the letters matter but for whatever reason they didn't use vowels they wouldn't point the vowels so you've got words where it's just all consonants which by the way i've I've seen that done if you take an english sentence and remove all of the vowels it's still understandable. Mm-hmm. But you have totally hamstrung people down the line, generations right. later, that are trying to understand the text if you can have two words with the same consonants and different vowels. Especially if they're a non-native English speaker. Well, yeah. But in spite of that, Hebrew is still incredibly expressive. And so what's interesting to me is we learn the name Yahweh in Exodus 3, where God gives it to Moses, Moses then uses that word. It is repeated over and over and over in the Old Testament, but at some point in the translation history of the Bible, someone decided that Yahweh needed to be removed and replaced with L-O-R-D, or Adonai, right. in Hebrew, um, which means master. And it's, it's, that word is used for kings, it's used for prophets, it's used for anyone in authority, but it's also used for the Most High God Creator, right. which really waters it down for me. Oh, of course. I don't know if you know this or not. The motivation behind replacing Yahweh with this other word was out of respect because the name is considered ineffable in, mm-hmm. in Judaism. Why would they go to so much trouble, Noah? Can you think of anything that might be in the book of Exodus or Deuteronomy that would make these people afraid of saying God's name incorrectly? Uh, The Ten Commandments. Right. Right. And what does that commandment say? You can paraphrase it. Do not take my name in vain. That's right. And what does that mean? Well, I know what we think it means. but The word for take means carry. Mm -hmm. Okay. And carry is something that you do. Um, it's like something's been put on you. A load mm-hmm. has been put on you, and you walk around with it. You're moving it. It, it goes with you where you go. And the, and the idea that Yahweh was presenting to the Israelites was, I'm going to put my name, which doesn't mean a word. It means my essence, my character, mm-hmm. w- what is most essential about me. And I'm going to place it upon you like a tattoo. And you're going to carry my name with you everywhere you go. And so when people see you in the marketplace mistreating someone, that is associated with me. Right. And when people see you doing something nice for poor people or nice for someone who's fallen down on the side of the road, then that will also be associated with me. Mm-hmm. So take it seriously. Well, you know, and to put this in a modern context of how I kind of think about it, 
I think about it as a like a sport. You have the team logo on your oh, yeah. cap. Like a jersey. Or you're on the mm-hmm. front of your jersey, and then you have your name on the back of the jersey. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, who are you ultimately playing for? Yeah. Are you playing for the name on the back? <laughs> are you playing for the, the the name on the front? That's a good. That's good. I like that. And and so, you know, there's no question that if you break the rules and you get kicked out of the game or anything like that, they're going to say, well, there goes Adams because he's, you know, broke the rules. Mm-hmm. Which I did all the time. And the the thing is, is that no matter what you have done, you're still representing the, or the thing that is on the front of your shirt. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're also representing you. Yeah. And as I've stated before on this, this is one of the fundamental issues I have with people that attack anybody's religion. As I've said, I cannot play an instrument, but if I start trying to play Mozart or or Beethoven or something like that, you don't go blame Mozart or Beethoven for me not being able to play an instrument. Right. You blame me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yet we want to go blame God for every time that Fence messes up or Adams messes up or anything. Yep. Yep. Now we're going to, we are going to bring that into the circle. Okay. Now we're not even done with page one of my 12 pages of notes. So I'm going to, what I'm going to do for the rest of this episode is I'm going to summarize some things and maybe we can use it in future material. Well, and depending on how this sells, we can, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the number (laughs) of listens and things like that. I mean, we can come back and, you know, part two, part three. I mean, we got nothing. Because I I think I, I I haven't read, I couldn't download what you sent me. There's some company that rhymes with Oogle that uh, wouldn't uh, let me do that. And uh, sorry, but that's all right. I mean, the 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 hate is mutual between both of us. <laughs> so I keep going back to Elohim and Yahweh, and I keep belaboring this point because I want to show something. Uh, the hero Israel, the Lord your God, is one. Does not necessarily mean singular. It means unified unity, and that can't happen without more than one. And we understand that often the God of the Bible is described as the Lord of hosts, and that clearly points to many. Well, you know, one other point, and I don't, I'm sorry to interrupt your point here, but no, it, you're not. It, no, I, I really, not no, uh, well, you're right. I'm not sorry about <laughs> anything. The thing is, is that this phrase, Christ is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Mm-hmm. Why is that not the same as, I mean, there are many kings. Clearly. There are many lords. Clearly, why isn't this God of gods? That's right. Jesus even said, it, "It's Father the has put, same." Yeah, the the Father has given me all authority over heaven and earth. All authority? Is that not absolute? Pretty clear. So, is there anybody in charge of him? Don't think so. The Father gave it to him. Okay, and so people in their limited capacity wrestle with, how can you have all authority if it was given to you? Whoever gave it to you's got more authority, right? Maybe. Well, well, that's what that's the leap that we make, and this is why they came up with the concept of Trinity because you've got Father, you've got Son, and then Jesus Himself talks about Holy Spirit. You know, I'm going to go away, and I, I it's better that I go away because then I will ask the Father, and He will send you a Paraclete, a Helper, and He will remind you of all the things I taught. And this Helper, the Holy Spirit, Hagia Numa, is another member of the Godhead, mm-hmm. right? In English, we've got a definitive article, the, you know, when you say the, no offense, you're basically saying there is only one. Right. And thank God there is only one. 
but, I, I feel attacked by that. I'm sorry. Um, but what you cannot necessarily say with certainty in the New Testament is that there is only one spirit who is holy. Uh, agreed completely. Okay. So does that not give me just the slightest toehold? Well, here's something else, too. And, and I know this is not exactly the same context, but there was someone that was acting, doing, you know, things that the disciples were doing. And the disciples said to Christ, should we go stop him? Christ says, no, he's doing just fine. Yeah, don't stop him. If he's for us, he ain't against us. Right. And, and, and so it's like, wait a minute, who is this? Exactly. Where, where did his authority come exactly. from? Exactly. Who was this guy who told him about you? Mm-hmm. How is he going around doing did he things even, in your... Did he even meet with you? Right. You're right. Yeah. And why did Jesus tell him not to stop him? I mean, don't we need to homogenize our faith? Don't we need to make sure that we've got all the boxes checked and everybody agrees on the on the really hard salient points? I don't know. This goes that that particular issue. I, I just want to put a pin in because I, I can go off on a hour long tangent. A lot on of people that. think that what we talk about is dangerous because it doesn't align with orthodoxy. Yeah, that that was ditch water. <laughs> ditch water. Yeah, that was complete <laughs> ditch water. <laughs> all right. So the the Hebrew word Yahweh doesn't have vowels. So there's been long debate about how it should even be pronounced. Of course. And there's other complications, too. Like, you might have heard how many names there are for God in the Bible. It's mm-hmm. like 80. I believe so. And, you know, that's that's honestly kind of crazy. They're not names in the sense that, you know, like Noah is your name. It's different. It's like a title or an office or a descriptor or some kind of adjective Well, would, But God. wouldn't you think that that would happen if you're glomming from pre-existing oh yeah yeah especially if you're trying to speak to someone in a language that's familiar to them you would use words to Mm -hmm. to describe i mean missionaries do this now when they go to a culture that has different concepts than the western church they have to find um local concepts that they can apply to the story of the bible to help the locals understand well and and, i mean just because of our proximity to latin american countries i mean we if we were to go to latin american countries i mean we would use the phrase el jefe you know for the lord yes because we we want them to know that you know this is this is the guy this is the big boss Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm okay el jefe and so uh, you know the the um same thing with uh, if you were if you were talking to people in you know in history if you went back to England you would you know you would King Richard mm-hmm. you know or the, you know this is this is the boss I mean the, yeah have have you heard the the name for God Jehovah mm-hmm. did you know that it's a construct that wouldn't surprise me part of that effort during the translation period of the Bible from when it was originally penned until we open it now and read it in a translated form they took the the consonants of the tetragrammaton the the four letter name y h w h in english and they inserted the vowels for adonai and that's where we get jehovah it well, isn't it isn't real i mean correct me if i'm wrong and i'm not trying to borrow from indiana jones here but doesn't the hebrew alphabet not even have a j it's a construct everything's a construct okay and here's something else um do you know what Jesus's actual name was in Hebrew? It wasn't Jesus. No, um, that's, that's Latin. Well, it, it, it's it, yeah, it, 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 Yeshua is is Yeshua is the short form, right? The long form. It's actually in our, in English, it's Joshua, right? Okay, 
but in Hebrew, it's Yehoshua. Right, yes. Yehoshua. Yehoshua in Hebrew means the Lord saves or God saves, okay, which is appropriate for Jesus because that's exactly what he did. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting to me is that the word for spirit in Hebrew, ruach, okay, ruach means wind. This is a force that can move things, but you can't see it. We've right. talked about that. We've before. had this discussion. Okay. And the H in Yahweh is meant in Hebrew to hyperlink to spirit. The whole idea of the is meant to link with a force you can't see. Makes sense. Okay. But here's something else that's interesting. Um, the four letters in the Tetragrammaton are Yod, He, Vav, He. That's how we get Yahweh, okay? That's interesting. Isn't it? Since these numbers can be used, I mean, these letters can be used as numbers and they can be used as symbols, it makes sense to, to at least explore what that might mean. So God gives man through Moses his name, but out of respect, we remove his name from the text over 4,000 times. Right. What is the net effect of scrubbing your name from documents that are important? Like if we took your name out of your birth certificate or out of your mortgage, or if we took it out of um, your your documents at work and we just replace it with something, what would what would the net effect be? Well, it's going to be losing the identity. Yeah, and and when we started this episode, identity matters to us. Right. Do you think it matters to him? Absolutely. I think it matters to him more because. All throughout the Bible, he is constantly reminding the Israelites that his name, his essence, his character is what's unique about him. He deserves the credit. He deserves the glory. Uh, a lot of people don't like that because they feel like that's narcissistic or sure. arrogant or whatever. But honestly, if he was the most high God, we give Pulitzer Prizes to good writers. Mm -hmm. We give peace prizes to good thinkers most of the time. Sometimes we don't. But the idea is we like to award and show favor to things that are at the pinnacle of their field. And if there is a most high creator God, does he not occupy the most high place? Well, absolutely. Does he not deserve that credit? So it's not narcissistic. It's just doing what's right. We have a problem with, in our society, of people having too much. Follow my example here, but I mean, I am in no way comparing A to B here. How many people do not like Elon Musk? A lot of people. Why? I don't know. Cause I mean, okay, so he's the richest man in the world. Jealousy. It, it, that's probably part of it. And, and I think that, that the same can be applied to God. Again, I'm not comparing Elon Musk to being God. Right, because he's not. No, we're close. He might be an alien, though. Uh, I'm pretty sure that he is. Well, he is South African. That's closer to alien than this. Well, but, I mean, if he's an would he be an African-American? He would. He totally would. Okay. But, but straight up, I mean, the, the thing is, is that I think that people who lack want to blame someone for the reason that they lack. Mm -hmm. Or blame something. Yeah. That's because they have a scarcity mindset, and they don't understand that there's plenty for everybody. Mm-hmm. Because there is. The other thing is, is most people lack self-realization. Mm -hmm. Not to put you on the spot, Mr. Lemma, but who is responsible for most of the disasters that happen in your life? 
Uh, me, hands down. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. A lot of people can't do that. Oh, no. Because I know in Noah's life, <laughs> the, the the biggest culprit is Noah. Yeah. I, not... I have looked in the mirror. I have seen the enemy. It is us. That's right. It is, totally. I'm my number one fan and my biggest enemy at the same time. But I think a lot of people lack the, the whatever phrase you want to use to be able to look in the mirror and realize that they are the problem or they are the beginning and the end of their own demise. Yeah. It's easier to blame someone else for your screw up than yeah. it is to blame you. Take credit for the things you like mm-hmm. about yourself and blame the things you don't like on somebody else. And so if there's something that you can't rationalize, it's easy just to, to blame the invisible force here. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, especially if that invisible force was responsible for making you the way that you are. 100%. Because decisions were made. Mm-hmm. So how are we going to land this plane? How in the world am I going to condense do you 11 think pages of notes that I did not get to into something cohesive so that when we leave this episode, people are actually like, wow, that was a good, thoughtful discussion. Do you think that we're even still in the air? I mean, you say you want to land this plane. I mean, man, I think we crashed a long time ago. (laughs) How are we going to crawl out of this crater? Um, You mentioned 1 Kings 22. You remember that? Mm -hmm. That's a story I think we might have even talked about before. Yes. uh, You have a glimpse into heaven. Yeah. There's a glimpse into heaven provided to King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat by a prophet of Yahweh, Mm -hmm. whose name is Micaiah. Yes. The two of them are thinking about going against another army. Yeah. Joining forces and going against this other army. And um, Jehoshaphat asks for, for backup on this because he, he's he's not convinced that, right. that Ahab is acting on well, in the right accord. Well, he's more, but he's not, it's not that he's not convinced. It's, he knows Ahab is not acting. Ahab is a bad actor. Yes. And he knows he's a bad actor. Yes. And so he's like, hey, have you consulted God? I mean, we're about to go do something. People are going to die. Mm-hmm. Have you asked God about it? And he goes, well, sure. Right. I got all these prophets over here. And Jehoshaphat said, those are prophets of Baal, however you pronounce it. And so he says, don't you have a prophet of Yahweh that we can consult? I mean, because, you know, down in the southern kingdoms, mm-hmm. we still worship Yahweh. Yeah. And, and Ahab's like, yeah, I got one, but I don't like that guy. Yeah, because he never tells me anything I want to hear. I hate that guy. So anyway, they call him, and um, the prophets of Baal all tell Ahab, go to war. Yep. You guys are going to win. It's a slam dunk. And so Jehoshaphat asks Micaiah, should we go to war or not? Ahab's like, this guy always prophesies bad against me. But this time, Micaiah said, no, go to war. You shall surely win. And Ahab, because he knows Micaiah, is like, wait a minute. Right. And we've talked about this before. So anyway, this glimpse that Micaiah gives them is of a sky council. There's Mm -hmm. a room full of entities. And there is one who is higher in rank than the others and basically says, how are we going to kill him? And they all take turns providing options. Right. And then, and here's where I think that most people's circuitry just ends. Mm-hmm. Because one of them says, I will go and be a lying spirit. And we're like, wait, wait a second. God can't lie. So who is this guy, mm-hmm. lack of a better, I mean, guy, you know, mean being or whatever. Yep. Who is this guy that is in heaven right. on the divine council that can be a liar? That's right. Oh, and then the leader of the group says, you will succeed. That's that. Go is, do it. Go do it. And he did. And so all 400 prophets of Baal to a man all said, you will succeed. And then the prophet of Yahweh said it too. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because when Ahab throws a fit and says, hey, wait a minute, you never prophesy good for me. Tell me the truth. 
Then Micaiah does tell him the truth and Mm -hmm. says, and he describes this whole scene, and he says, if you come back from battle, then I am not a prophet of Yahweh. Right. And he didn't. Yeah, I mean, Ahab died at Ramoth Gilead there. He got aced. Yep. All right, so the reason why we tell that story, though, is because it describes a scene in heaven that is different than what most people conjure up in their minds when they think of God. 100%. Right. So you've got a council, and they're discussing the life or death scenarios for King Ahab. Mm -hmm. And then they come to agreement on what should be done, and it gets dispatched. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is unified. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Okay. Then we have other pictures of a sky council. There's there's one in Psalm 82. We may have mentioned this also. You've, I'm actually going to read this real quick. It says, uh, God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. What did you just hear? Even the divine council doesn't have the big picture. Exactly right. Now it makes sense to me Mm -hmm. that the Old Testament ambassador for Yahweh would tell them the things that he told them. Sure. I am not saying that the Old Testament God was not God. What I am saying is the Old Testament God was a representative of the Most High, and not everything they said was 100% his will. It was their best understanding of his will. You see, they they walk around in darkness and know nothing. Yep, they were given a vague assignment with not all of the context and said to go make this happen. That's, we're we're talking blasphemy now. But here's my backup. You go to Galatians 3.19 or Hebrews 2 or Acts chapter 7, and I I don't have time to read those right now. But in every single one of those cases, when it's talking about Yahweh speaking to Moses or speaking to Old Testament prophets, it says that it was delivered by angels. Every single one. So we know for a fact, if those three passages in the New Testament are accurate, and if we go back and look at the Old Testament and those passages are also accurate, then what is happening is every time God speaks to mankind, it is through a proxy. Sure. And there are lots of examples I even wrote down one that's my favorite. In Exodus 19, God repeats himself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the first part of the chapter, you've got Yahweh telling Moses, don't let the people get anywhere near that mountain or they're going to have to die. So Moses tells the people, don't get anywhere near the mountain or you're going to have to die. Later on in that same chapter, Yahweh repeats himself to Moses, and Moses says, the people can't touch the mountain. You've already told us that. That verse right there is where my brain clicked. And I'm like, what? Right. How did God not know what he had said? Unless it was not a him. different representative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they both had the same message, but one didn't know the other one had already delivered it. Right. Isn't that interesting? And then you've got the oldest book of the Bible. It's written in Paleo Hebrew, 
the book of Job. And it also presents a picture of Elohim and a one, a higher one of the council. And the sons of God, the Beni Elohim, all present themselves to Yahweh. And the Satan is among them. Mm -hmm. And this is not weird. Here is literally the arch enemy presenting himself in heaven to Yahweh. That's strange. But you know what's even stranger? When you get to the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 4, John talks about being given a message from Jesus himself to the churches. And he writes it down. And in each one of the first four chapters of Revelation, the person delivering the message says, this is from the Lord. Okay? Right. And John writes it down because it's different. It's It's got a, a slight spin on each one to address each of the seven churches of Asia. And what's interesting to me is it describes a throne room and there is one seated on a throne. And this is a capital O. And then there are 24 elders, and they are sitting on thrones. And then four living creatures that are kind of indescribable. Mm -hmm. And this is the scene John sees. And the, el the elders know stuff. But when the four creatures worship the one, the elders sitting in thrones fall on their faces and cast their crowns at his feet. Right. So there's clearly a hierarchy in heaven. And it's not the picture that we were given. No. Who are these 24 elders? I have not found anything in Christian literature to tell me who these 24 elders are, but it sure sounds like first Kings 22. It Remar sure sounds like the divine council. Remarkably. Yes. And what's interesting is about Psalm 82 is the author say you've got Elohim talking to Elohim saying, why don't you do what you're supposed to do? How come you keep leading people astray? And then at the end, it closes by talking to Elohim. Right. Do the right. Be righteous. What's interesting to me is that they have a choice. They're, they have an understanding of what they should be doing, but they walk in darkness and some of them cannot do it, or some of them don't want to do it. And now we have Satan who is a heavenly being, a spiritual being, yes. and clearly is the opposer, the aggressive anti-God entity, you know, of scripture, the, the, the embodied evil or whatever. All of this to say, heaven is a lot more complicated than I was taught in Sunday school. And God apparently rules by proxy. He did in heaven uh, this, this concept of creating agents that can choose whether or not to serve him and manifest his will and they based on their understanding influence humanity who also by the way sits in ruler position on the planet over other beings that are lesser than them and we use the resources and take care of the animals the best way we see fit but if you look at the allocations on the planet we've got you know people that are starving to death and we've got people that are way too fat. And it's not that there isn't enough food. It's just we're not managing it well. And so you get to the very end of Revelation and you find out that Jesus reveals to John that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And now it makes sense. Like we talked about in previous episodes, we need a new heaven because the one we've got now is broken. Of course. But when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, what did he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Name was important. Yes. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is his will done in heaven?
Anyway, so I got one last thing I wanted to share with you. I, I have something interesting from a discussion of the model prayer. Okay. What did Christ say a few words ahead of this? Don't pray by rote. Mm. Don't repeat your words. Like the Gentiles do. And yet, what do we do? Yeah. We. Th- th- this is how you pray, not what you should pray. Exactly. Yeah. The, the the model, we call it the Lord's Prayer, and it was, oh, our Father, heart, and him. We're violating exactly what he just said not to do. Right. And what's also interesting is that wasn't a prayer. That was a template for a prayer. Maybe? Yeah. Model prayer. John 17 is the longest prayer Jesus ever recorded, and he talks about God as Father. Mm-hmm. In fact, he does that in the Lord's Prayer, too. Why doesn't he refer to God as Yahweh? That's a good point. Jesus clearly believed that there were entities beyond human. But when he referred to the Most High Creator God, he referred to Father. Right. And he also, what's the word when you make yourself lesser than something else? Subjugated? Um, Subservient. Okay. He made himself subservient to the Father. People would ask him, they would refer to him as Father, and he would say, no, 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 there's only one Father. Right. Um, Then you'd say, good teacher. And he said, why do you call me good? There is no one good but the Father. And here's another thing, just throwing this out here for free. Jesus never taught his disciples to break the law of the Torah. Never. No, that's a good point. He only ever taught his disciples to obey the law. Well, you know, another thing that kind of dovetails with this is Mm -hmm. Christ never had a problem with sinners. No, he did not. He had a problem with the people that thought they weren't sinning. That's right. Exactly right. In fact, it was like he had a white-hot passion against anything religious that would get between a seeker and the one true God. Mm -hmm. So I guess to to sum up, my picture right now is that God the Father is like a force of proto-personhood, the ultimate personhood. Nobody, invisible, all-knowing, all-powerful, that kind of stuff, but not tangible. Jesus told his disciples that no one has seen the Father except the Son and those the Son reveals him to. The New Testament authors describe Jesus as being the fullness of God incarnate, okay? Like, if you wanted to know what the Father was like, look at Jesus. The people that try to describe Trinity to me say that Jesus proceeds from the Father, the firstborn of all creation, Son of God, Son meaning of like kind, okay? But there's lots of sons of God, apparently. They're all throughout the Old Testament. And everywhere you see angel used in the New Testament where it's referring to some non-human entity, that's also a divine being. Okay? True. So all I'm trying to say is there is something about the Father that we clearly do not grasp. So I want to make one last point here. In John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. This statement It would have sounded blasphemous to Second Temple period Jews. They would have heard him equating himself with God the Father, and they would have said, you're putting yourself on the same footing as God, and therefore that's the same as saying you are God. And ultimately, that is what they prosecuted him for in that sham trial, and that is why he was executed, for claiming to be God. Ironic. But a little further research, and I credit Ligonier Ministries for helping me with this, is that the Word one in John 10.30 is gender neutral. So while Father is clearly masculine and Jesus was masculine, 
his use of a gender-neutral form of the word one implies something more than just we are the same. What it implies is the Father and I are unified. This is a direct hyperlink to the Shema. And so when I see, here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and when I see Jesus say in John 10.30, I and the Father are one, what I am clearly seeing is the God of the universe is unified. And in order to be unified, there has to be more than one. But it doesn't limit it to three. You've either got two or you've got as many as there are. And I'm not going to land hard on Trinity because I don't think the Bible does. So if that makes me a heretic, okay. But I think the Bible clearly teaches that there are many, 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 many spirits. Revelation even talks about the seven spirits of God. You've got the 24 elders. You've got the four living creatures. You've got the lamb that was slain. You've got the one with a capital O. And we don't know. Okay? So... If you're going to call me a heretic because I don't believe in the Trinity, fine. I accept it. Because your case is weak. I think, and this is this is my big point, my big crescendo, I believe that every time anyone ever spoke on God's behalf anywhere in the Bible, it was a proxy talking. Except Jesus. Uh, I think you could make that argument. It was not a proxy easily. there. No, because he's, he's God in the flesh. That's right. He spoke on behalf of himself. Now, they saw a man, but in reality, it was Yahweh incarnate. The body was not all he is. But the fact that he came as a human to die for his enemies tells you a lot about his identity. Agreed. Okay? So, one last thing. Yeah. Unless you have any questions. And I hope you don't, because I don't have any answers. Yod, hey, vav, hey. Remember? Mm-hmm. So, my sons tell me, they're studying Hebrew, and... And my oldest tells me that these words have symbolic value. Right. They literally mean the symbols for each letter are hand, behold, nail, behold. Interesting. And so if you were to if you were to tease that out into a sentence, behold the one with nail pierced hands. Interesting. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is cool. In fact, when I saw it, I was like totally geeking out. Mm-hmm. This was delivered to Moses in Exodus 3. Right. This was, this was delivered to Moses before Genesis 1 through 11 were written. Mm-hmm. So this has been known from the beginning, but it was scrubbed. Too much knowledge. But now we know. For sure. All right. What's our word of the day? Backlog. All right. What does this mean today? Well, and... I think it means you got too much work. You can't get to it all. It's originally meant the largest log in the hearth, as that was the back log. Okay. And then here are two others that are just kind of funny. Assassins.